If you've been in church for longer than five minutes, you've probably heard someone talk about discipleship or making disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples. After the resurrection, he commanded them in Matthew 28, 19, to go into all the world and make disciples. In many churches, that verse gets painted on the walls. The language of discipleship gets tossed around frequently, as does copious amounts of discipleship programming, classes, books, and even conferences. It seems like a concept of which almost every Christian possesses at least a loose working definition. Yet, our application of this concept is sorely lacking. Even if most Christians have similar ideas of what a disciple is, very few of us can articulate a coherent process for how to make one. Worse yet are the Christians who have read books, attended classes, audited seminars, and gone through trainings on the art of disciple-making, but have yet to lift a finger to actually do it. Anytime I preach on discipleship or call men within our church to take steps in making disciples, I get the same kind of feedback or pushback, depending on your perspective. Many men feel desperately unqualified, like they don't have the kind of relational, theological, or intellectual giftings or qualifications to do what Jesus has called them to do. Other guys report feeling woefully unprepared. Ironically, sometimes it's even the guys who have been in church the longest and read the books, taken the classes, and attended the conferences who feel like they're not prepared enough. But most men just tell me that they're overwhelmed. When would they even have time to make a disciple? Between work, family, travel baseball, dance recitals, the kids' homework, church commitments, keeping the kids fed and the house from burning down— There's no room to do this thing that Jesus has called them to do. A.K.A., sorry, Jesus, we like all the other stuff you said, but we're going to have to pass on this one. If you've ever looked at the commission of Jesus to spend your life making disciples and felt unqualified, unprepared, and overwhelmed, you're in good company. The 12 apostles just might have been the most unqualified, unprepared, overwhelmed, and unlikely leaders to lead the Christian movement. Religious leaders in Israel during that time were among some of the most educated, brilliant, and qualified in all the known world. Yet, God took these 12 ordinary, uneducated, blue-collar men and used them to turn the entire world upside down. Welcome to the Committed Masculinity Podcast, a limited series that explores the issues and challenges facing Christian men who are serious about Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. On each episode of the series, we will review the content of each chapter of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity, and then discuss the issues of each episode with a special guest. On today's episode, chapter nine, Commit to Discipleship, Clarity, Obedience, and Power with special guest, Carl Williams. A matter of clarity. Human beings are notorious for overcomplicating the simplest things. In the year 2021, 
the global weight loss industry made an estimated 254.9 billion US dollars. Countless products, supplements, diets, services, coaches, ebooks, and seminars all claim that they have somehow discovered a breakthrough approach or a hidden secret to losing the pounds and trimming back your waistline. And yet, Medical science has had the same consistent consensus for the past century on how weight is actually lost. In most cases, it's by simply adopting a lifestyle in which fewer calories are consumed than are expended. However, just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. If you've ever tried to adopt a lifestyle in which fewer calories are consumed than are expended to lose weight, you can attest to this. Simple isn't always easy. But it certainly helps having clarity to know what you're working toward and the steps you must take to get there. It's the same thing with this thing called discipleship. We've made it unbelievably complicated. But God's Word gives us clarity and helps us keep it simple. When Jesus called his first disciples, he offered within his call the very definition of what being a disciple actually meant. Look at what Jesus said to those he called to be his first disciples. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. According to this definition, a disciple knows and follows Christ. The first part of this definition is an invitation to follow Christ. If we follow Christ, we must come up under his authority and direction. This is what follow means. Someone else leads. Matthew 4, 19 is an invitation to be in relationship with Jesus. But also, to be in that relationship, we must submit to his leadership. Discipleship involves a head-level change. A disciple must know who Christ is and must make a conscious decision to follow him. This is a belief that Christ died for our sins, and this is the decision we make to trust him as Savior. It's that first step of choosing to surrender our lives to him. But it doesn't just stop with him being our Savior. Following Jesus means that everything has been brought under his authority. It's choosing to follow him, not only as Savior, but as Lord. This means he has the final say over every area of our lives. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. The next part of this definition focuses on change. Jesus isn't a dead man or someone who left this world without a trace. He's alive, and he transforms us into new persons as we follow him as his disciples. We are changed as we stay in relationship with Him through Bible study, prayer, the counsel of other believers, and life experiences. Disciples experience a heart-level change by being with Christ. In Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John are placed on trial for preaching in public about Jesus. Earlier that day, God had used them to heal a lame man. The next morning, they were brought to trial for the public disruption they had caused. Peter and John were not just fishermen from Galilee anymore. They had been changed. How? Acts 4.13 tells us, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had spent time with him. As a result of the time they'd spent with him, they'd become different. Having a relationship with Jesus requires that we spend time with him. And as we spend time with him, he changes us. A disciple of Jesus makes time to be with Jesus in Bible study, prayer, 
time with other Christians, and serving other people. As a result of the time spent with Jesus, a disciple grows in character. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. What did Jesus mean when he said he was going to make the disciples into fishers of men? Many of his disciples were fishermen by trade. So Jesus put disciple-making into a language these fishermen could understand. Fishers of men are those who work to fulfill Christ's command to make disciples of all nations. Discipleship involves a hands-level change. What we do with our time and our energy, our hands, changes because we're committed to the mission of Christ. As we spend time with Jesus as our Lord, we begin to have a change of heart that leads to a change in how we use our hands. We want to serve God wherever he has placed us. That means that our abilities, gifts, and learned skills are all empowered and are on call for the Lord's mission of making disciples to all nations. So how do we make disciples? God's word gives us an exceptional amount of clarity into that as well. As we study the book of Acts and the success of the early church at making disciples, we begin to notice some key elements that were in the first century church. First, the church had leaders. The apostles were the ones who were intentionally devoted to the process of training up others in Christ. That means if we're going to truly make disciples, we've got to grow in our relationship with Christ so that we can lead others. As we're growing, we then get intentional about relating personally to people God has placed in our lives and help them grow to a place of spiritual maturity. Secondly, in the book of Acts, there was a relational environment in which this process happened. They would meet regularly in each other's homes. Discipleship happens within the context of relationships. It's hard to truly know someone's challenges, struggles, or motives to help them grow in Christ if we only know them in formal, large group settings, like on a Sunday morning at a large worship service. Third, the early believers in the book of Acts had some kind of reproducible process as they had daily meetings and were devoted to the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, and prayer. This was all based on the life and ministry of Jesus. That's where the apostles learned it. Jesus intended for his process of making disciples out of the original 12 to be reproduced. When the 12 accepted him as the Messiah, he invited each one of them to join a small group in relationship with him. As the disciples grew, Jesus gave them responsibilities. In their ministry, he joined them and coached them. Finally, he released them to do the same with others. All three of these elements are crucial in the process of helping someone grow in their journey of being a disciple. I just want to stop for a moment and let you know that most of the content in this section related to the question of what is a disciple and how is a disciple made is taken from the Real Life Discipleship Training Manual and other supplementary materials written by Jim Putman. Um, great, great, great stuff that's coming out of Jim Putman and his ministry. So if you want more information about this, um, please go to the Real Life Discipleship Training Manual. It's awesome, really good stuff. A lot of this stuff is straight from that. So um, just wanted to give credit where credit is due for that. It's simple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And this mission of Jesus to making disciples is achieved through intentional leaders who connect with others in relational environments through reproducible processes. So is this easy? 
Not at all. But what often makes it difficult has less to do with us knowing and more to do with us obeying. A matter of obedience. No matter what season, situation, or station in life you may be in as a man, obedience to Jesus is always becoming a disciple who makes more disciples. We should always be looking for someone in our life to witness to, pour into, encourage, teach, strengthen, and build up with the truth that God has shown us in His Word. Attending church, reading Christian books, listening to Christian podcasts, and learning the Word but never sharing what you've learned with other people is a surefire way to achieve spiritual obesity. Like we mentioned earlier, physical obesity can occur when we consume more calories than we expend. It can lead to diabetes, hypertension, stroke, heart disease, and puts a person at risk to die early. Spiritual obesity is just as dangerous. When all we do is consume spiritual truths without ever doing anything about them, we can become spiritually comfortable, spoiled, entitled, and just flat out lazy. And when we're spiritually obese, we're not burning spiritual calories by living the kind of Christian life Jesus calls us to live. So when we come to church, we're usually not that hungry. That's why church is usually boring and disinteresting to many of us. And that's why some of us wander from church to church looking for just one more place to get fed. There's a name for people who go to restaurants when they're not hungry. They're called critics. Losing weight is hard, though. Every time I get back to the gym after slacking off and adding a few pounds to my waistline over the holidays, those first few workouts are miserable. They make me feel like I'm dying. But if I stick with it, I build up endurance, strength, and I actually find exercising to be pleasurable, not painful. Could it be that maybe the reason so many Christian men start the journey of becoming a disciple or making a disciple and find it boring, painful, unappealing, or uncomfortable is because they're spiritually fat? It's a whole lot easier to just sit in a pew each week and consume good preaching than it is to actually get out there and do what Jesus said. But following Jesus is about obedience, not just knowledge. Listen to what God's Word says about this. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James 1, 22-25 What does obedience to Jesus' command to make disciples look like for you in your season, situation, or station of life? Is there a coworker you've never shared your faith with? Is there a young man in your life you need to mentor in their faith? Is there another guy in your life that you need to ask to mentor you in your faith? Is there a men's small group you need to be a part of to grow as a disciple? Is there a men's small group that you need to lead as you help some of the guys in your life grow as disciples? Whatever it is, stop overcomplicating it. Just do it. A matter of power. For any man who feels unqualified, unprepared, or overwhelmed at the idea of obeying Jesus and making disciples, I've got news for you. You are all of those things so long as you rely on your own strength. 
Let's go back to Acts 3 and 4 when Peter and John are placed on trial for preaching in public about Jesus. God had used them earlier to heal a lame man. And as they stood before the most qualified, educated, brilliant religious minds of their day, Simon Peter, who was essentially a high school dropout, does something quite bold and audacious. He delivers something called a pesher to those senior leaders who made up the Jewish council. He says to them, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures, where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 11 and 12. A pesher is an interpretive commentary on a scripture. It was only done by rabbis with the highest authority and expertise. But here's Peter, the former fisherman who had never walked the halls of academia, delivering a commentary on Psalm 118.22 and explaining its full meaning to a room full of PhDs. Peter had no authority on his own to do this, but his confidence in that moment was not based on his own qualifications. It was based on God. The distinctive quality that set the first followers of Jesus apart and gave them power that none of the religious elite possessed was that they were full of the Holy Spirit and they had been with Jesus. The most qualified, educated, brilliant religious minds of the day were baffled and perplexed because of a group of blue-collar workers who possessed a power that they didn't have and they didn't know. See, you and I can have the credentials, qualifications, and skill set, but still not possess any sort of power. And we can have none of the credentials, qualifications, or skill sets, and still have a power that enables us to do far more than we ever thought possible. When we step out in faith and obedience to the commission of Jesus, God's power meets us there. If God himself dwells in us and has promised us his presence, power, and guidance as we obey and follow Him. Why is that not enough for some of us? The kind of heart and prayer that God honors is one of desperation, radical dependence upon Him, and a poverty of spirit. If you're feeling unqualified, unprepared, or overwhelmed, you're in a perfect spot to allow God to fill you with His Spirit and use you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. A matter of commitment. To the man who feels overwhelmed by the amount of responsibility to the commitments he's already made or the responsibilities he already has of being an employee or a small business owner, husband, father, church member, or friend, let me set your mind at ease for a moment. God's probably not asking you to give him something you don't have. He's simply asking you to give him everything you do have. Our English translation of Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Go, make disciples. One might conclude that true obedience to this commission means we must travel to a particular place to fulfill a special kind of ministry. But a more accurate translation of the Greek might be, as you are going, make disciples. That means you are called to be a part of this mission wherever you are now, wherever you go in the future, and in whatever you do with the life that God's given you. Our assignment in life, no matter the station, season, or situation, remains to make disciples. In the office, in the gym, at the neighborhood cookout, in the bleachers during your kid's little league game, 
and every place in between, you are called by your king to be a man on a mission. You have an opportunity with every person you meet to point them to Jesus through your actions, character, and words. In giving everything you have to King Jesus and his mission, there might be some things you're committed to that aren't quite as valuable as you once thought they were. It's remarkable to me how many guys say things like, I don't have time for discipleship, and yet they manage to find time to do other things like work out, play golf, or watch football. We will make time for what's important to us. It's a matter of our hearts being committed to what has captured our affections. The ultimate question becomes, are we committed to using our lives to making much of Jesus or using our lives to pursue our own versions of happiness, comfort, or convenience? My prayer is that God raises up a generation of men with hearts so captivated by Jesus that obedience to his commission to make disciples is a non-negotiable. I pray for men of courageous obedience committed faith, and radical dependence on God for the power to boldly declare the goodness of God in the only name that saves to a world desperately in need of hope. May the unbelieving world witness the power displayed in the lives of these committed men and conclude, these men have been with Jesus. guest today is Carl Williams. Carl is on staff at the Experience Community Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Carl, how you doing, man? Doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, brother. So tell me a little bit about your uh, role at the Experience. What is your title and, and what do you do? Yeah, so I am one of the life groups pastors here at the church. And so one of my main responsibilities is just overseeing all of our life groups, getting uh, them connected, trained, the follow-up, basically walking with the leaders, helping them basically disciple well within their groups. Uh, basically, wow. one of the, the neat things that I always look to when I think of what the life group is, it's that intentional community, right? It's that relational mm-hmm. environment that we've formed so that discipleship can happen. Wow. So you're like the architect of discipling environments. So that's, a, that's a massive job, man. I don't know if I'd go so far to say that, but yeah. So like, again, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the role of the church, right? So everybody's part yeah. of us. And so how does that come into play when we talk about that within a light group setting? So absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's helping people have that light bulb moment in their life, especially the leaders to say, what is my role? What, why, why am I here? Mm-hmm. What is God calling me to do? Yeah. So how many life groups total do you and your team oversee? Just curious. So it's, it's over 100. It, it's always a fluctuating number. Wow. Uh, we just this past fall had about uh, 29 to 32 uh, life groups that had launched. And again, we're in huh. this mode of uh, we're going through new leader trainings. And our, our hope is that we can get another you know 100 or so by the end of next year. Uh, so wow. it's, it's, it's a big ask, uh, but it's, there's a huge sure. need for community. Absolutely, man. Well, tell me uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got into ministry and uh, your experience of discipleship. Yeah. And so I'll give you the, the quick two-minute version. 
<laughs> but yeah. so I, I'm like a lot of the people that would be listening to this podcast. So I was uh, just a, a person who loved church, loved God. I served in the church. I, I work vocationally, uh, mainly in the world of finance and investments, uh, 401k mm-hmm. administration. And so I, I, I went to work, worked my 40 plus, and then I served in church. And I, I did that for many years. Um, I met my wife early on, about in 22, and we got married, had a couple of kids. But there became a time in my life where I felt this discontentment, where I knew mm-hmm. that God had something, a calling on my life. And I, I, I wrestled with it for about a year. I read through the book of Jonah almost every single day because I thought that maybe wow. I was running away from what God was asking me to do. And hmm. long story short, I uh, woke up one morning and I just couldn't go to work. There was something in my heart that was holding me back. So my wife hmm. noticed this. And uh, so she said, honey, what's going on? I said, Look, we need to talk. And in that moment, she said, honey, I, I think you need to pursue this. I think you need to start taking classes for ministry. Which was a wow. which was a huge thing because when we got married, Josh, she said, "I don't want to be married to a pastor." <laughs> <laughs> My wife told me the same thing. So, Look at there. <laughs> yeah, so I think that was one of those releases. So from that point, God just started. Man, he he. I got into classes. Um, I told my employer, man, this is not my long term. Uh, God's called me to ministry. I don't know what that's going to look like. And mm-hmm. uh, a small rural church in the Thumb of Michigan uh, called me to be their pastor. And this is where, I mean, this was my aha moment with discipleship. And so they called me, I went and preached, they voted me in. I said I needed about, you know, six weeks to sell my home and get some things in order. So in the process of doing that, I I became aware, I went to one of our regional conferences in the church that I was a part of, and the guy started speaking about the difference between having programs and having a discipleship culture. So, so here I was, I had led youth groups, I had led worship, I had been on church boards, but right before starting to become the lead pastor at this church, God smacked me and basically said, hey, it's not about programs, it's about a discipleship culture. And I, I felt completely ill-equipped, completely, I have no idea how to do this, like, Lord, I'm going to need help. Uh, luckily, the, the church I was part of was very supportive of resourcing pastors, and one of the things mm-hmm. that they did is they brought Jim Putman to our national conference, and I was able to go through his discipleship track, um, just sitting with him in you know a room of 60, 70 people and talking about what relational discipleship was. And so that was my giant light bulb moment. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's what started that that journey with me. So, so you had heard the word disciple and discipleship and maybe even disciple making before that, what did that word and that term mean to you before then? So I think that it's, it's kind of like an overused term to be honest with you. Uh, sure. We, oh, yeah, we, we use it as a blanket statement to mean everything. Right. And mm-hmm. it, as much as it does encompass a lot of things, it's not everything. Right. And so mm-hmm. when, when we would hear discipleship, we thought it was you going to a class. You, right. you know, you sit and you're getting discipled because you sit in the service on Sunday, which happens. You are getting that mm-hmm. in a way, but it's different than the relational discipleship that we see is the Jesus model. Right, 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 right. So in implementing that culture of discipleship into the church where you were serving as pastor, what were some of the challenges? What were some of the obstacles or, or maybe even pushback that you got from people? So, and, and this isn't specific to the church I was at. I think that this would be true in many churches. So again, it's not picking mm-hmm. on them, but I think oh, we sure. have, we have church baggage. 
we have we have mm-hmm. the way that we've always seen church to be, um, and in getting into a relational discipleship mindset, there's a couple of things in there as far as being transparent, being real and genuine with each other. Which in churches, when we walk into those doors, we're, we're expected to be perfect. We're expected to have right. our act together. And especially if you were to ever lead a group, right? There's that thought process that you have all the answers. You never struggle with sin. You don't have any, you know, your life is perfect, which is not the reality of it. And so right, in that right. in that church specifically, I think that was the idea of changing the mindset that it wasn't just a Sunday thing. It was, hey, mm-hmm. how are we growing? And what's my part in helping to disciple other people? Um, yeah. Again, most churches, I would I would say, have this idea that, based on the ones I grew up in, let me phrase it that way. The churches that I grew up sure. in, if you wanted to help somebody grow closer to Christ, I said, hey, why don't I come and talk to you, you know, invite you to, to meet my pastor, right? Right, right, right. That mm-hmm. was the way that it was done. And, and mm-hmm. this was a complete mindset different where, well, I'm not equipped to do this. Like, no, you are. And so it was mm-hmm. trying to convince them that God's asking you to be part of this. Like you need to get right. off the bench into the game and that, and start doing this. Yeah. So it almost seems, I mean, I I have seen that 100% with a lot of the folks that I've talked to about this thing called discipleship and disciple making is um, people feel ill-equipped unprepared, unqualified for them. It is, man, I can, if I'm feeling extra, 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 extra bold, I can invite that coworker or that neighbor or that person that maybe my kid does, you know, they have a kid in little league. I have a kid in little league. We sit together during games. I can invite them to church, but in terms of having those honest conversations about the faith, in terms of um, maybe sitting down with them and saying, Hey, once a week, would you want to sit down and maybe read a chapter of the Bible together or, or whatever? That's, that's a huge paradigm shift to kind of say, Hey, it's not about just getting somebody in the program of the church. It's about you being the church outside of the four walls of the church. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the part where it's, it's scary to just basically be open with where's my current testimony? Like how, how's God changing mm-hmm. me? right now and just and being aware that that's the biggest piece of you um showing them the reality of who god is um it's not just going through and and filling in it's i guess it's that difference between the head knowledge i can tell you all all the things that scripture talks about but if i show you and tell you how god has moved in my life and transformed me i think people don't realize that that's one of the biggest most powerful aspects of discipleship it's the reality and the, the the what's god doing now Right, right, right. So why do you think guys in particular struggle with this? Because this is a podcast for men. We're talking about guys and some of the challenges and struggles we have in living this thing out. Why is it that we sometimes struggle with this? Or do we struggle with this more so than than maybe our uh, our wives or our, our sisters in Christ? Yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know if it'd be more than, but I think definitely for me as a guy, um, in my life, there's been a few people that I think that I had would have trusted enough, right, to mm-hmm. really convey everything to, because uh, we do kind of hold things that you know at a, at a slight distance, like you know, like hey, I don't need to talk about that. I don't want to show my weakness. I don't want to show sure. like that right now. Like you know, I'm I'm being I feel crushed because of you know whether it's employment, whether it's you know like uh, my my home life, whether it's whatever the sin that I might be dealing with. I'm feeling crushed and to show weakness, like that's not cool. Right. 
Um, mm. I think getting beyond that part of like, listen, like you're not really showing weakness by being raw and genuine with each other. Um, I think to right. me, like that would be a huge hurdle in my life at least. Sure. Do you think uh, busyness also plays an aspect to that? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's a cultural thing, but it's even us guys yeah. are doers and fixers, right? And so yeah. it's like, I think that's the part where we always jump on to what's that action step that I can take. And when we start talking right. about the discipleship piece of it, first and foremost, it has to start with me, right? Mm-hmm. And so even before I try to, to become that disciple maker, I have to make sure that I'm slowing down and saying, God, you know, transform me. Uh, what's sure. going on in my life? I'm surrendering this to you. I'm not, Lord, I'm not trying to fix this with my own two hands. I'm actually going to let you do the work in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I see so many men, I think, it, rightly so, working hard at their jobs, trying to be involved as dads, trying to be there for their wives. And when it comes to church and um, living their faith out in a community of the believers, for some of them, it's kind of like, you know what, I can give an hour of my week, but beyond that, I just don't have time. And I feel like I hear that almost every time I talk about discipleship and ask men to take steps forward, being in a men's group or being in a discipling relationship or, you know, reaching out to someone to disciple them. It just feels not very practical or helpful or um, beneficial to mm-hmm. other aspects of their life. And so it becomes like, man, I, I'm i working 50 hours a week. I can barely make it here on Sunday morning. What do you mean I got to, you know, make a disciple or be a disciple or why, why is this important? So what would you say to a guy that uh, might uh, object to this thing called discipleship by saying, man, how do I, how do I do this? I don't have time to do it. I mean, right all the time I had, I think of the priorities, right? Um, they want to be a good dad. They want to be a good husband. They want to be a good um, worker. They want to be respected. All this starts with the fact that if we're going to claim Christ as our savior, if, if he's not the priority, the other things are going to have issues all the time. Right. Hmm. Um, so if, if we put him first and we say, like, yeah, I understand I'm sacrificing. I go to church on Sunday morning, which, again, hopefully we get to the point where it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, which I think that they will get there. Right. But it, yeah. it takes kind of like getting over that first hurdle to realize, OK, if, I, if I'm going to worship and, and listening and, and growing, but I'm also taking some time to intentionally be with a couple other guys and and dig into the word and share with this is where I'm at. This is where I need prayer. This is, you know, this is the thing that is most impacting me and how I'm asking God to help me in my life. When that happens, when they first see it, the other things start to fall into place. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of in that m- mindset of like, well, we want to convince them to at least try it so that they can sure. see the fruit of what happens. Um, and I, and, but I mm-hmm. agree with you. It, that's a, that's a big ask. Um, it's it's sure. one of the probably the bigger hurdles that we have with trying to help men get into this kind of relationship. But once they do, I mean, the fruit of that is just it's there. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, there are certain seasons of life for sure where we just are busier than others. I mean, I'm I'm a dad of three young kids. And um, I think when you're in that season where your kids are all young, it just feels like you, <laughs> you're treading water, trying to keep your head above water without drowning, you know? Um, but I think what can start to happen is we almost get addicted to the rush. We get addicted to, 
just being in a hurry. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a way in which we can be busy and work hard, but we can make sure we're not so in a hurry to get to the next thing that we don't prioritize for the most important things. And that's things like discipleship and things like making sure that our spiritual life is where it needs to be. And, and part of that is being obedient to what Jesus called us to do to, to growing as a disciple and making disciples. Mm. Um, so do you think we've complicated this thing called discipleship more than it needs to be complicated? 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Talk talk to me about that. So, so again, we we talk about it and again, everybody tries to be, Oh, well you got to do this. And then you got to do this and you got to do this. Like, again, if we boil it down to what's the simplicity that Jesus did, he he just asked the question. He said, "Hey, man, follow me." And, mm-hmm. and and the people who understood that this is the person that has something for me, they were willing to follow. And as they followed, mm-hmm. Jesus did the transformation. He 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 spoke simply. He didn't use complicated words. He used the parables. He guided them, and he quickly gave them the opportunity just to be part of it. And so you, mm. I, I'm always blown away when we think of the fact that when Jesus started his ministry, you know, like three, three and a half years, the disciples went from just being simple fishermen and tax collectors and these people who weren't the scholars to shortly, probably like midway through there, they were being sent out. They were healing. They were doing yeah. things. They were, Jesus asked them to participate. Um, we've done a mm. horrible job of actually, I think, empowering the men in our lives um, that we know of. Like, hey, you love Jesus. You're letting him transform you. Let me show you this simple Jesus model on what it looks like. Mm. Let's, let's, let's see what he says. And again, the, the obedience piece of it, I, I know you wanted to talk about that, but that's the simplicity. We don't have to be obedient to everything in scripture from day one, but we have to be obedient to what God has revealed to us now. And if we mm. start with that simple baby step of like, what, it, what does he show me? Am I being obedient to it? And then that's where God's, that's where he's working on us. He, he's not trying to, to fix us all at once. God, yeah. God is so patient. He's so merciful and gracious with us. And so I think we've complicated it versus just saying, listen, be obedient to what God is showing you right now and watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Just watch what happens. Just, just, I mean, it'll be a roller coaster, but man, I will tell you, like you are going to grow like leaps and bounds just by that one simple thing. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think uh, we have more resources in the American church than any other 10 nations combined in terms of Christian resources. Mm. We got books, we got seminars, we got conferences, we got podcasts, we got YouTube videos, we've got e-courses, we got all this stuff, right? And sometimes what happens is we consume so much all of the programming and all the resources that it actually leads us to doing nothing because we've we've become so spiritually obese and we have all the working definitions of discipleship and disciple making. And, you know, Oh, what's your oikos brother? You know, things like that. Uh, which if you don't know what that word means, good. Um, it's yogurt, right? No, it's, it's yogurt. That's all it is. <laughs> there was a whole discipleship movement called the oikos model. And everybody peddling it was like, no brother, if you're not doing the oikos model, then you're really not discipling. I'm like, okay, shut up. Um, <laughs> well, hey Josh, I, one, I, one of the interesting things with that is if you really unpack most of these discipleship quote unquote engines, they mm-hmm. all do boil down to basically the same thing in mm-hmm. so many ways. It's you have a leader who's intentional, you have a, a relational environment, 
and you do yeah. something to empower somebody to go on and, and to do what you just showed them how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like my counsel to, to guys that will come from those, you know, veins where they're just, they are spiritually obese and for all their obesity, they are so out of shape. They don't know how to do it. I'd say, man, just find a guy in your life mm. that you can meet up for breakfast once a week and you can sit down with your Bible and his Bible and you can talk about what God's doing in your life and what you learned. Just start there. Don't make it weird. Yep. Go get breakfast with him once a week. Right? Yep. Um, find a men's group and get plugged into that men's group. I mean, if you go to the experience and that's your church home, we've got so many of them. You can actually find Carl and ask him. I'm sure he'd probably point you to someone, right? Um, Absolutely. But, but I think what happens is we get paralyzed by the information that we have, we get paralyzed by thinking that really what this is all about is knowledge and training. Mm. And a lot of it comes down to, are you just willing to do it? Are you just willing to show up with somebody else and get real with another brother in Christ and just go, man, let's follow Jesus together. And, and let me help you follow Jesus as I'm following Jesus and let's do that for each other. And then let's grow so we can do that for other people. So, um, yeah, not quite as complicated, I think, as sometimes we make it. For sure. For sure. So to the guy that's busy, to the guy that works, you know, 70 hours a week and he's got nine kids and they all are in separate sports and he's got dance and softball and ballet recitals and theater kid and all that stuff. And so he just feels like, oh, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed, but I really want to do this thing called discipleship. How can he commit to discipleship as he goes about living the life that God has given him? Okay, so there's a couple parts I think we can speak to with this. First is, I think, being aware of the people that are around him. Mm. Okay, so it's part of the idea that, okay, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, um, there's going to be people in his church there's going to be people that might even be like on his kids' ball team or ballet. You know, there's going to be adults that are there. And we live in, I mean, especially where we're at now, we're in middle Tennessee. There's tons of people that would claim Christ. And so I think we are aware mm-hmm. of the people around us. We want to just have a simple conversation and talk about, oh, yeah, like, you know, yeah, I go to the experience. Oh, yeah, I go to this church. Great. Hey, guess what? We sit here for an hour waiting for our kids to get done with practice. What would you think about us just like, you know, bringing the Bible and chatting about something? Again, that's a big mm. ass for some people. For those who are sure. introverts, they're like, I will never do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> but for the extroverts, yeah. that might be your might be your thing. But I think that's like finding yeah. the low hanging fruit. So who are the who are the the men in your life that God has put in your path that's routinely in your path? And and in, mm. and maybe that's in church and you and you're serving on the parking team or you're serving in hospitality and there's this one person that you just constantly are, are talking to in meeting. Guess what? It's really low hanging fruit to say let's meet a little bit before or a little bit after something. Um, mm. Finding that that empty space where it's not going to conflict and add one more thing to your plate, sure. but it's sure. just going to be part of it. And again, use the illustration of like meeting for breakfast. Like everybody eats. Finding time on a lunch, yeah. finding time on a lunch hour to do this—that's that's not really a bigger ask, yeah. right? Um, sure. So I think that's the fine part where we—if we do that, we find those those empty spaces, and then just be willing to just have that simple, hey, listen, 
I really want to grow in my relation with Christ. Um, I would love to sit down with somebody and just talk about God's word. Right. Mm. And again, if it's those people, the, the people in my life that I feel that, again, this would be from like, you know, a, a disciplers mindset. Uh, God mm. has put certain people in my life that have, I've had a deeper connection with. Right. It's mm. for whatever reason, they come up to me and we start talking and I feel like we're friends. I feel like we're buddies, like almost right away. And so mm. like these are the people that I feel like God has given me responsibility towards. So at least to, to do the ask, like, hey, could we do this? And what's interesting right. I find is when people know that this is your heart's desire, I have a lot more people that will ask me. And I get it. It's easier. Everybody listening is going, that's easy because your name is Pastor. True. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's be fair. Yeah. That's true. But at the same point, like within that relationship, it moves. It's not pastor and congregate relationship. It's yeah. we are two men. Let's walk together. And in this relationship, I'm I'm not putting on this this superiority hat. I'm putting on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I'm at in my life. This is where I might be struggling with parenting. This is where I might be like needing prayer for X, Y, and Z. So I think yeah. finding those those empty spaces and just making it simple. Again, it's not making it complicated. But again, yeah, if this absolutely. is but if this is who I am, if 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 I'm a follower of Christ and I desire to become more and more like him, that should start bleeding into other areas of my life. Right. Mm. And I think that's the part where uh, just letting that be the, the simplicity of that and you, you'll do fine. Yeah, man. That's so good. You know, before I went into ministry, I was in education. I, I taught for about six years and, um, when I first um, moved to Murfreesboro, I was teaching at a high school and um, first day on the job that summer as I sat in my classroom, the guy that was assigned to be my mentor teacher walked in the door. We talked for about 30 seconds and he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, you're a believer, aren't you? Mm. And I said, yeah, are you? And he said, yes, I am. And man, we sat and we talked about Jesus for about an hour that day. And over the course of the next three years, we built an amazing friendship. And I would say a discipling relationship um, where he helped me grow. And then as I matured, we kind of became, uh, you know, just brothers in Christ together to have those meaningful conversations. Some of it was, hey, let's meet up before church and let's, or before church, before school. Uh, and let's, let's have breakfast together. Let's chat. Let's talk about life, talk about the Lord. And then some of it was just, he comes into my classroom one day. Hey man, I just need prayer for this. What's going on. And, and so like this commitment to living the faith publicly, not being ashamed. And then when you find another brother in Christ being vulnerable and honest and open with them, um, Man, those connections, those relationships, those go so deep and they help you grow so much further in your faith than, you know, just, well, we're, we're not in church right now. So if you want to talk about church, you know, you can come to my church on a Sunday morning, you know, but being willing to, as you're going throughout your day, you're, you're talking about it. You're, you're being open about it. And, uh, that was such a valuable relationship for me that I wouldn't trade for the entire world. God used uh, my buddy Justin to help me grow my faith so much. And um, I'm just grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, last question. Okay. Discipleship. Is that more of a matter of obedience and commitment 
our knowledge and training. Uh, obedience and commitment. That's that's an easy one. That was lo- that was come on. That was like a, <laughs> that was a softball. That was actually in the books. So that was my test to see if you read the book. So, right, right. You know. No, for, for <laughs> sure. Like that's that's the part where um, I'll just piggyback on what you had said earlier too with the the head knowledge thing. Um, full, full full transparency. I'm confessing to you right now. One of the things that irks me the most is when people sit in my office and they say, "I want to do good things for God. I just don't know enough." And I, I feel like I almost jump onto like a soapbox and start preaching at them and be like, no, like, it's not about what you know. Yeah, Just yeah, be yeah. obedient to what he's shown you. Like God wants to use you today. Don't wait 15 years yep. to get your doctorate. Like that's ridiculous. Yep. Um, we don't see that anywhere in scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. So for sure, the commitment to just say like, I'm willing, right. I'm willing yeah. to do this. God, I want to do this. I think if men put that to prayer, God, I want to, one, be a disciple that you called me to be, be a follower like you called me to be, and I want to do that in somebody else's life. If, if you as men start praying for that, God's going to put somebody in your path. I, I 100% believe that. Just do that. And then when you Amen. do it, just be obedient. Show, show the person who you're walking with how you're being obedient. That, that current testimony, not what happened 40 years ago, you know, like, oh, I was at a church camp, like, da 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 da. Like, that's great. But what is God doing in your life now? That's mm. the thing that's going to help that person grow closer to God. You're, you're, you're giving them the clearest picture possible. Some people that you might start discipling, they'll read scripture and it will make any, a lick of sense to them. But as you start getting together and talking about it and say, well, this is how God showed me how to be obedient to the scripture, it, it will be like, that makes perfect sense to the person. So, yeah, commitment mm-hmm. to just do it, pray through that and be obedient. Man, I think I think the men in this area that are, or wherever you are in the world listening to this podcast, because I'm sure you have a few million followers here. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, easy. Yeah. Half a bill, yeah. <laughs> so wherever they're at, if they start doing that, I'm going to be committed to it, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm I'm excited for what God will do to the men of the world. So yeah, absolutely. Amen. That's awesome, man. Well, Carl, thank you so much for uh, for being on, man. Always always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening to the Committed Masculinity Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want more, head over to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity. Please give this podcast a share, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thanks again for listening.